As a pastor, you, you get a lot of questions. Uh, people ask you about different, different subjects, and uh, usually uh, one of the uh, top subjects is people want to talk about. Specifically, they want to ask some questions about death, and especially when there's a funeral, and, uh, and it calls everyone's attention uh, to that. There are questions that, uh, that are asked, and uh, oftentimes... We, uh, when we formulate what we believe about death and the life after, we go to movies or we look for secular books and, and hear experiences and, and, and try to base it off of that. But what I want to do over these uh, next four weeks is to um, be able to take God's Word, which I feel is the authority on both life and death issues. God is the author of life. And God is also the one that receives us in death. So it only makes sense that we would come to his word to understand what does it mean about life and about death. And so we've entitled the series Hereafter. And so in order to talk about the hereafter, I want to talk about both the here and the after. And I want to lay down a foundation for everything that we talk about right here in God's Word. So let me first of all, let's talk a little bit about the here, and we'll set this foundation, and then we move to the after. The here, number one, life is short, live wisely. Life is short, live wisely. If you go through the pages of Scripture, you'll see a number of verses where it talks about the brevity of life. First Chronicles twenty nine fifteen says that life is like a shadow, and you get into Psalms 39, 5, and 6, it says life is, is like the length of your hand. It is like a, a breath. Psalm 103 says our days are like grass or like the flower. To where they flourish, the wind comes, it blows it away, and it's gone. And the passage that many are familiar with is James 4.14. And in James 4.14, it says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Time passes quickly, and we understand that. And see, a lot of times we say the older you get, it seems like the faster that time passes. But really, I think at all stages. You know, this Wednesday is what many believe should be a national holiday. That's National Signing Day, uh, where uh, high school seniors determine where they're going to play football uh, for the next year. And there will be people in their offices pretending like they're working, and they're not, uh, for about eight hours or so. But they're making this big decision. Where am I going to spend uh, my next uh, three, four years or whatever in college playing a sport that I love? And it's always interesting to talk to the seniors who have graduated because those who've graduated and moved on to careers, whether it be in football or something else, over, almost everyone will look to the freshman and say, man, it seemed like just yesterday I was putting on those pads or signing my, uh, my form to come to this school. And it just went by so quickly. And it does. And for those who graduate from high school, it's like, wow, these high school years went fast. College years, they go fast. Life just seems to move quickly. And because it does, it means we need to live wisely. Sometimes you'll hear people say, life is too short to, and you fill in the blank. And You know, that's a, that's a good thing to hold on to. You know, pettiness, bitterness, life is too short to surround yourself and get involved in pettiness and bitterness, just move on. When I went with my daughter to J.H. Ranch 10 years ago, I, I love the statement that came out of that. It says, you only live once, but if you live it right, once is enough. You only live life once, 
But if you live it right, once is enough. So listen, time is short. You got to live wisely. Well, that takes us to the second point, and that is that death is inevitable. Think about it. Death is inevitable. Think about it. I love the sentence uh, that I read years ago. It says, maybe death and taxes are inevitable, but death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that. And uh, what we live in what is called a death-denying society, even though you may witness thousands of deaths on TV from watching shows or watching the news or going on the uh, uh, internet and, and reading stories of all these different deaths, We have a tendency to compartmentalize it and say, you know, but that will never happen to me and that will not happen to my family. And I really don't want to face it and I really don't want to think about it. And that when someone comes up to you and wants to talk about dying, I just don't want to deal with it. It's inevitable. We need to think about it. You know, Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And many of us feel that same way. I just don't want to be there. I don't want to deal with it. But it's inevitable. Death ultimately intrudes into our well-planned lives and it changes things around. Death doesn't respect the young or the old, the good or the evil, the Christian or the heathen. Sometimes death is sudden. Sometimes it's long and drawn out. Occasionally, it is beautiful, sweet, and peaceful. But at other times, it's wrenching, hideous, bloody, and ugly. Sometimes it comes too early And on other occasions, it seems the cold finger of death lingers too long, but death will come. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, it is appointed for man to die once. It's appointed for man to die once. So because all of us are born, there will come a time when we will die. And the reason for this, the reason for death is this the final outcome of living in a fallen world with the effects of sin. Once sin entered our world in the Garden of Eden, death followed. And now we live in a sin-affected, fallen creation with aging bodies and deteriorating morals. So we need to realize that death is inevitable. And we need to take some time to think about it. You say, well, Danny, that's kind of morose. Why do I need to take time to think about it? The reason that you need to is because the here affects the after. And I'm more concerned about what I will experience after death than what I will experience when I'm near death. It's not the transition, but it's the destination that really counts. We shouldn't just cross our fingers and just hope our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And just think, I just hope so. I just think everything's going to work out. And I believe when I die, I'm just going to go into this never, never land, be with God forever. And I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope hope it happens. We need to know before we die. We need to know. And because we could die at any time, we don't need to know next month. We don't need to know next year. We need to know now. What happens in the after? That's the third point, and that is this. Eternity is a reality. Be prepared. Eternity is a reality. Be prepared. Now, when you think about eternity, when a person steps out of this world, they die here what happens next? Well, I want to, first of all, give you some false assumptions about eternity. These are things that you'll hear taught. You'll hear them, uh, see them in books. You'll see them in movies. Uh, and so let's just look at four false assumptions real quick. Number one, reincarnation. What reincarnation teaches is that you just keep being recycled. 
That means that death is nothing more than a transition from one body to another. You live a life here, and then when you die, then all of a sudden you end up somewhere else in another body. It just keeps going. And the purpose of that is for you to improve along the way and finally get to this great state to where you've, you've kind of gained all that you're supposed to gain on there. Well, reincarnation, if I can just say that movie, A Dog's Purpose, is a good movie. It's a fun movie, but I don't want all you puppy people out here getting mad at me uh, on this sermon. But um, it doesn't really happen in real life, but it is a sweet movie. But reincarnation, we don't just die and then step into some new body or go somewhere else. You see, this is a fallacy of man, not a fact of Scripture. Let me go back to that Hebrews 9.27 and let me complete that verse. In that verse, it says, it's appointed for man to die once. That takes out that. And after that comes judgment. So there is a stage as to what happens. You live this life and after you die, it's appointed that every person will die once. Then comes judgment. It doesn't say, then comes the next life. Then comes the next life. No, then comes judgment. Reincarnation. It's a false assumption. Let me tell you the second. The second false assumption is what's called annihilation. Annihilation. What that means is as soon as you die, you're done. You cease to exist. Your body, your soul, they're destroyed forever. You you get your time on this earth, and whether it be 10 years or 100 years, when it's over, it's over, you're done, you're dust, you, you, your soul, your body never exists again. And for some, which we'll talk next week, believe it happens suddenly. For others, they feel like that you go through a time of punishment and suffering for the bad things you've done, and then your soul and body will cease to exist. This also, according to Scripture, is just not true. When Jesus was talking, he's talking about the righteous and the unrighteous and where they would spend eternity. In Matthew 25, 46, he says this, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Key is this word eternal, eternal. Eternal means eternal. It means forever. It means there's no stop. It's not like, okay, so what happens at the end of eternal? Nothing. It just keeps on going. So there is no annihilation. And then when you come to Revelation 14, 11, and you say, well, maybe just those who've been bad, they'll just be punished for a short while. In Revelation 14, 11, it says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. So it is eternal. Annihilation, there is no annihilation. We will continue to exist after we die. Well, the third one is purgatory. Purgatory. Now, purgatory uh, is a belief that it is a place that's prepared by God to purge those souls that are not yet pure enough for heaven, but not bad enough for hell. You're in that limbo thing. You weren't bad enough to go to hell, but you weren't good enough to go to heaven. So you get placed in this middle category. It's called purgatory. And here people undergo the pain of an intense longing for God and intense suffering until they have paid the debt of temporal punishment due to them because of their sins on earth. And what it does, it exists to purify a person so that after a number of years, months, years, they finally get to the point to where they can step into heaven. Now, the only thing wrong about that is that it's just wrong. Um, it, it has absolutely no basis in Scripture. And here's the reason why. We are saved, help me with this, we're saved by what? Grace, not of 
works, all right? Ephesians 2, chapter 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We're never going to be good enough to get to heaven. The only way we have the opportunity to go to heaven is by the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And he paid the penalty for our sins. And then he was raised from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death. And he offers salvation to you. And so by grace, this grace, you have been saved through faith. By you taking that step of faith, saying, I accept Christ as my Savior. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of any works. And if you ever get in the discussion on, on that, and, and you're just trying to figure out what's the quickest way to deal with it, this is what I thought about, the thief on the cross. Hey, you remember, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, that when Jesus was crucified, there was a thief on the left hand and the right hand. And one of the thieves were over there, and they were telling Jesus to curse all these people and, and, and just uh, was uh, saying, hey, you know, you aren't supposed to be here, give them a hard time, or you curse and, and help us, come on down, help us. And then the one over here comes in, he says, listen, remember me when you get in your kingdom. He understood. He knew who this was. And he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And you know what Jesus said to him? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, if there really was a purgatory, then Jesus would have leaned over and the guy says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He says, yeah, it could be about four years from now. Um, but I'll let you in if you're good enough in purgatory. And then maybe we can get together at that time. No, it was today. Today you'll be with me. So there is, there is no, no purgatory, okay? Number four, and this is really popular today, and it's universalism. What universalism says is that all roads lead to heaven. And everybody's going to go to heaven. Uh, either all roads lead to heaven or just good old God's going to put his arm around you when you die. And he says, hey, I know you had some rough patches there on earth, but everybody come into heaven. Let's just, let's just fill her up over here. And people have a belief that they are wired to where they have a default destination within them, and that default destination is heaven. So no matter what you do, in the end, you'll end up going to heaven. Well, that's just not right. You see, we are sinners, and we are not entitled to enter God's presence. We're not entitled to enter his presence. No one goes there automatically. And unless our sin problem is resolved, the only place we will go is our true default destination, which is hell. And as we go through this world and we sin, which all people do, our destination is hell. We are bound to be separated from God for eternity. And so it's not like just everybody's going to show up in heaven. You just, there's no scriptural basis for that. The passage that some of us learn, uh, one of the first verses we learn is a verse, John three sixteen. John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But what we forget about is verse 18 and look at John three eighteen. It says, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, he's condemned already. That's us. If we do not believe in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, we're condemned already. 
And so there's no universalism. It's not like, hey, we're just all going to get there. There's only one way. The young people, you've got a shirt on today. What does your shirt say? What is your, what was your verse? Was it John 14, 6? It says, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. See, that is the only one way. And so universalism, that would not be correct. So these are some false assumptions that you can just read in culture, watch in movies, and say, this must be the way it is. But let's just go to what God's word says. What does the Bible teach about them? So I want to give you some factual assertions about eternity. The first one is this. Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. Before we put on the screen Revelation 1, 17, I want to set it up for you. Apostle John has is, is been sent to an island of Patmos. And while he is sent on this island, God gives him an amazing revelation. And it's what we call the book of Revelation, the last book of, of the Bible. And this is what he said. He hears a voice that calls to him. And he says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, that's an incredible picture of the uplifted Jesus Christ who's been ascended, who's in heaven at the right hand of God. And when I saw him... I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, and look what he says, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. I'm going to be as practical with you as I can be. If somebody was asking what happens after you die, who would you want to talk to? I don't want to talk to someone that spent 90 minutes to where they were in a coma and then came back or somebody that spent five minutes and felt they'd been in heaven or whatever. What I want to know is someone who truly died and then they came back again. And look what he says. <laughs> I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Separates him from Lazarus. Remember Lazarus died. Jesus brought him back to life. Lazarus died again later on in life. And I'm alive forevermore. Okay, and then he says, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Okay, if you're old like me, when you says, I hold the keys, what do you think about? <laughs> Steve Green, <laughs> that's a great song. <laughs> I listened to it again when I was doing sermon prep, got jacked up, uh, chest bumped myself. Yes, this is great. And uh, I mean, it's such a powerful song because he's talking about, he says, I hold the keys. He holds the keys of death and Hades. And so when you're sitting there trying to think about, okay, what happens in the after, I would want to look and see what Jesus has to say because he is the one who has died and then has risen from the dead and lives forevermore. And now he says that Satan, who was the author of death, I've now taken the keys from him. He doesn't own them anymore. Satan doesn't own death anymore. Jesus says, I've got them. I've got the keys to death in Hades. And that means that he is the only one that can deliver you from death 
and the only one that can deliver you from the torment of Hades. So that's the first factual assertion. Number two is this. Christ's followers immediately go into the presence of the Lord. Whenever you die, if you're a Christ follower, you will immediately go into the presence of the Lord. Immediately. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in two weeks. But go, you need to go on and know this, that you go immediately into the Lord. Last breath on earth, first breath in heaven. I go to Luke 23, 43. It's what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Second Corinthians 5, 8. Uh, Paul saying, I'd prefer to be away from the body and to be at home from the Lord. Absent from the body, at home with the Lord. Nothing in between. In Philippians chapter one, as he's writing to that church at Philippi, he says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. As I'm sitting here in prison, you know, there's a part of me that says I'm ready to go be with Christ, but then there's a part of me that says I need to stick around because my work's not finished here. So what he's saying is that if my, when my work's finished here, I'm going right in to the presence of Christ. You see, that right there, just knowing this fact, is something that should provide a great comfort to our souls. Billy Martin, man many of you know and love, been battling uh, with a lung disease uh, over, over a year, a couple years or so, uh, passed away today at 7.30. Stepped right into glory. 56 years old. Too young, too vibrant, such a great dad, great husband, great leader in this church. And yet at 7.30 a.m., he took that last breath at his home and then he took his first breath in heaven. And you see, that's a, that's a great comfort to have. And it's exactly what Scripture has taught us. And so when you think about the here and you think about the after, when the here is over, you immediately, as a Christ follower, you step right in the presence of the Lord. But then let me give you the bad news, and that's the third one. And that is unbelievers immediately go to Hades and are in tor torment. Unbelievers immediately go to Hades and are in torment. It doesn't mean that they get to go somewhere else and kind of get this little second chance. It says immediately. John 8, 24 Jesus speaking says, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And what that means when you die in your sins, God is perfect. Sin cannot be allowed into heaven. You die in your sins. When you come and stand before God and you're carrying all your sins with you, you can't come into heaven. And Jesus says, you're going to die in your sins, which means you will be separated from him. And let me go back to Matthew 25, 46. And he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And there is eternal punishment. Hades is a place of torment and hopelessness. And then as we're going to talk next week, we're going to talk about hell. And that Hades is where we go. And then after the final judgment, everything's thrown into hell. And so we're going to talk more about that. But unbelievers immediately step out of this world and step into a place of torment and hopelessness. But here's the final point, and that is this. Your eternal destination is your choice. Your eternal destination is your choice. You know, God never sends anyone to hell. God never sends anyone to heaven. God allows you to make your choice. 
And if you want to choose Christ as Savior, it says you can step into heaven. If you reject him, then you will spend eternity separated from God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, God has put eternity into the hearts of men. God has put eternity into the hearts of men. James McDonald talked about this passage, and he says in this passage, eternity refers to our deep and abiding awareness of something outside the boundaries of our senses, that there is a God consciousness that's part of our nature, and we hunger for something that the experiences of this world cannot satisfy. We're all wired with eternity in our hearts to where we realize Deep down, there's more than just this world. There's something beyond us over here. And there is this quest for eternity. And this desire to understand what is it. It's more than just what this world can give us. And so as we have this quest for eternity, God has provided the answers to this quest through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we talked earlier, it is because of what Christ has done and the fact that he came lived a sinless life, and became this perfect sacrifice. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's a payment for sin, and it is that we would die. And so what God did was he sent his own son. He says, son, I'm asking you to die for the sins of all mankind. And he did. And he went to the cross, sinless, and took all the sins of all mankind, placed them on him, hung six hours on the cross, and he died. They took his body, they placed it in a tomb, but then three days later, through the power of God, he was raised from the dead. And that changed the whole ballgame. Because now all of a sudden they realized that he had power to overcome death. And that everything that he had said, that he was truly the son of God, it was all true. And when that happened, he's got the keys of death in Hades. And then he makes the invitation. And that invitation is for you to come to him. In Romans 10, 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's where it comes to your choice. If you confess, you, with your mouth that he is Lord, you truly believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved he said, well, even me? And you can sit out there and think about your own life. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, whosoever. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Any person can come and say, I want to have that relationship with God. And you know, if you do that, and if you make that decision, then you're not only a child of God with his spirit residing in you, pointing you toward a life of purpose and in living out what you were created for, you will no longer have a fear of death. You'll no longer have a fear of death. The times that, uh, that Billy Martin was here at a deacon's meeting or here in the church and talked to him, and I even went by his house this week and sat and talked to him, never once Was there ever a fear of death? It was never there. Because he knew he had his trust and his faith in Jesus Christ. And he knew that was enough. There's a great verse. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. Two verses. He says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die 
And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. That's what I just said. All right. By him doing it, he broke the power of death. Now look at this. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Now we don't like to talk about death. But in our most honest moments, most of us would say that we're kind of scared of it. And we just don't know what's on the other side. And what Jesus did was he let us know what's on the other side. And he provided us a way to be able to step into eternity with him and with his father. Took away that fear of dying. Now you have today in your uh, worship guide, I believe you've got a, uh, a shade story called Uncertain Miracles. Your assignment is not to read it today, right now. Your assignment is that when you go home, I want you to read this. This is about Shannon Burgess. October 20th, 2015, Shannon and her husband Brian came to my office seven months before she died to plan her funeral. She sat on the sofa in my office. She knew the cancer was, uh, was just taking its way in her life. And through all the treatments that were going on, and as much hope as we're trying to be there, she kind of knew that, um, that this is probably not gonna, going to end well. And she says, so Danny, I want to sit down. I want to lay out, lay out my, my funeral. And seven months later, she passed away. And what she told me, she says, I won't end this service. I want to celebrate her life, but not to mourn her death. In our discussion, there were two things that stood out. And this is what she said. From the moment the cancer was diagnosed to her last breath, she never asked God why. She trusted his love. She trusted his sovereignty. And she said that she would like to live longer for the sake of her husband, Brian, and her two children, Isabel and Wes. But as she looked back over the 41 years of life, she says, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. Life is short. Live wisely. I've got no regrets. And when we went to that funeral on the front page of the program, we had Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And it's therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him. So how does Jesus go to the cross? How does he sit there and let those people beat on him? And how does he let them drive those nails through his hands and his feet and, and, and put the spear in his side? How, do, how does he allow all that to happen? Because of the joy that was set before him. Because he knew that he was paying the penalty for the sins of all mankind and giving us an opportunity to come and spend eternity with him in heaven. And we talked about that verse, and because this is how Shannon lived, and this is how she faced death. It was the joy set before that allowed her to endure the cancer. She kept her eyes on the tape. She came from an athletic family. She got some guys that they like to run track and run cross country, and so she understood what it meant to keep your head up when you run, and then you cross the tape, and at the finish, you're going full, full bore. And you always have to have your eyes towards the finish, and she knew that. And she saw beyond the cancer and she saw the joy that was before her. And she ran through that tape at age 41. But there was a verse of scripture 
that we shared in her funeral. First Peter chapter one, verses three through four. And it says, now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Look at that. This great expectation. There's a priceless inheritance. It's there. It's that heavenly reward. And that's what she had her eyes fixed on. And I remember sharing at her funeral. I said, so when Sharon, when Shannon died, and when she appeared in the presence of the Lord, what did God see? What did God see when Shannon Burgess crossed over that tape? And I was pulled to 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin. Remember, on the cross, sin. Who knew no sin, he was sinless, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. What that verse means is that what Jesus did was he exchanged your sins for his righteousness. And so while he was there on the cross, and, uh, and when I made my decision to receive Christ as Savior, he took all my sins and he gave me the righteousness of Christ. And there was this exchange for Shannon. And Jesus took her sins and she got the righteousness that was credited to her. So I said, what did God see when Shannon died and appeared to him? What he saw was the righteousness of Christ. God didn't see a good teacher, a good wife, a good mother, a good servant of others, a good worker in the community, a good worker in the church, because none of these would have been good enough to enter into God's presence in heaven. What God saw was one whose sins had been washed away by the blood of Christ and was clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what he saw. Now, all these other things are good. But none of those other things would have allowed her to enter into heaven. It was because of the righteousness of Christ. Shannon could face death because that longing for eternity was satisfied. That God-shaped vacuum was filled when she made her decision to receive Christ. So how about you? When you think about death, are you ready for it? Now, none of us are ready to step out of this world and into eternity. I mean, we, we say, hey, Lord, I want to live here and accomplish things that need to be done. I want to be with my family and stuff. But death will come around. What you've got to do is ask yourself, I'm living in the here, but am I covered for the after? And you're the one who will make that decision. And to know that death has no calendar, doesn't matter young or old, rich or poor, Christian or heathen, death can come at any time. And we just need to be prepared. So I want to encourage you to think about that and to put everything else aside and say, okay, what would happen if my life ended today? If I took the last breath, if I was a Billy Martin to where I took my last breath, where would I spend eternity? You get to make that choice. And I'm going to give you an opportunity today. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. As we complete this service, I want you to think about the question that I've just asked you. And if you today say, you know what? I really do not know where I would spend eternity. You have an opportunity to 
kind of drive down a stake to settle that today, right now. It's not stuff you put off for next week. It's not that you put off for next month. It's not just going to wait till Easter. You can do it with it right now. And the way we do that, and the way you can do that, is to do exactly what Romans 10, 9 says. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And it comes by praying and asking him to take over your life and to be the boss of your life. I'm going to lead us in a, in a prayer. And uh, I don't want you to pray this out loud. But if it's your desire to receive Christ as your Savior, that you would pray this in your spirit to him and ask him to come into your heart. Something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for my sins. I know that I am a sinner. And I know that my sins will lead me to a total separation from you for eternity. And because I love you for what you've done for me on the cross, I want to ask you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, and to help me to live a life according to your word and according to your purposes. And thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for giving me the assurance of going to heaven when I die, and giving me the joy of living for you for all the years that you give me here on earth. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to look this way. If you prayed that prayer, you said, you know what? I, I really did that. On that connection card, it's got a place on there where it says, I prayed to receive Christ the Savior. I want to ask you to, to check that. There may be some of you that say, you know, I'd like to. There's a lot more questions I've got. You can see a place on there, check to say, I'd like to talk to a staff member about this, and we'll be glad to contact you. If you do check that you made this decision, receive Christ, we're going to contact you. We're not going to hot box you or anything. We just want to talk to you and then provide some information and help you take that next step, and we want to rejoice with you. When this service ends in just a few minutes, we will have some encouragers right over here to my left. We'll also have them at each one of the uh, exits there in the balcony. And I'd encourage you to stop and talk to one of us and let us pray with you and, and talk to you on that. Okay? Here and after. Let's live a life here that brings honor and glory to God. And then let's be so in tune with him to know for certain that we will spend our after with him for eternity. And it doesn't get better than that. Logan.